for Christmas is a fully stuffed lot. <laughs> Hello, Bessie. It's your favorite caffeinated, medicated, and never hydrated nurse, Nurse John. And welcome back to your favorite therapy podcast. Where all of your depression, anxiety, disassociation will go away, Bessie. I beg your pardon. I miss you guys so much. Did you guys listen to that? Christmas is here. Mariah Carey is here. She is defrosted. And so is Michael Bublé. Oh my God, Bessie. I miss you so much. It's holiday season. And I know, I know you're going to be like, wait, John, but Thanksgiving hasn't happened yet. And I don't care. Listen, when the Vermont starts, September, and so is Christmas time, we start decorating. I start my decoration, Bessie. Have you start your decoration? Huh? Because my Christmas tree will be up in about 48 hours from now. I am just making sure that I have all my decorations because this year's theme is green. Baby, going green. Last year was red. Yeah, baby, what is your Christmas theme? Because I am ready to decorate my house. I'm so excited, you guys. Anyways, bestie, I miss you so much. I hope life is treating you right. And life is going on. And remember, if things are not going how you want it, just believe in yourself and you got it. Ooh, that shit rhymes, baby. Listen, guys, that is true. Listen, if things are not going well, (sighs) tomorrow is another day to make it right. And it's going to go, baby. When it's your time, it's your time. Remember that. And Bessie, before we proceed, do me a quick favor. If you're listening to this episode right now, make sure you download this episode and all other episodes. And baby, don't forget to follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify Podcasts, and turn on that notification and make sure you share the episode you're listening to on IG and tag me and I beg your pardon so that I can repost it for you, Bessie. Do you understand that? That's a bit commanding. But do you understand that, Bessie? Period. Period. If you can follow your manager's request to update your whiteboard, you can do the same and share therapy to others. Right? Period. Period. And baby, if you're wondering what kind of scrubs I wear during my shifts and on my videos, it's called Guard Malad. G-A-R-D-E-M-A-L-A-D-E. And that baby is the only scrub company I wear. You can even use my discount code Nurse John GM. Only one N in this one, Nurse John GM. So you can get a discount when you get your scrubs. But yeah, Bessie, that's my scrubs. And also, don't forget to visit your favorite merch, which is almost sold out, Bessie. So make sure you get one of your merch from Nurse John. www.nursejohn, double and this time, dot com. And the shirt I'm wearing right now, shift happens, caffeine helps. So make sure you get one, baby. Love you. And also, you can get a discount by signing up on the newsletter. And also, guys, I hear all of your requests. Bring this one back. Can we have more of this? It's coming, baby. So this holiday season, you got some new merch to give, to gift, and for yourself. Period. Per. Bestie, this episode 
I know you're waiting for this. This episode is all about a patient, a client, a resident you will never forget. Are you ready for this? Because all of the submission either made me cry, made me laugh, made me scream, made me shook it, shook it to the core, baby. I was like, I beg your pardon. That's all I could say, baby. Are you ready? Get your tissues ready, your coffee ready, and those mind empty because, baby, this is it. You're going to relate to this. You're going to know every single thing, every single detail, baby. Let's do this. Anyways, we've all had that one patient or that one client, wherever you're working, you could be a nurse, you could be a doctor, you could be a social worker, you could be working at McDonald's, but you always have that one person or that one client or customer that would never, ever leave your head. That they will forever stay. Whatever happened to them, to the situation, to the event on that day will forever stay in you. Because, baby, I have so many. I have, like, a whole library of patients I will never forget. Funny, scary, stories that makes me angry and all that stuff. But I have a bunch in my head. And I can tell them for days, baby. We could be all sitting here and I could tell you every single thing. You'll be laughing. You'll be crying. You'll be screaming. Everything, baby. But this one... (laughs) You guys submissions you guys submit to me are so crazy. Sometimes I'm reading them. I'm like, oh, should we even publish this one? Should we even be reading this one? But you know what? There's no filter in this podcast. You'll be hearing every single thing. You know why, baby? Because this is the truth. Okay, so let's head on because I talk too much, you guys. I talk too much, but this is the point. This is me. I'm showing you me. Okay, so let's do this. First story. I had a patient who I called a rapid response on. She was young, 54. Diabetic was found at home, had a cerebral infarct. And just to preface this, 54 is still very young, you guys. That's not old yet. That that is considered young. Again, if you're in a hospital and you're between like 40s to 60s, you're still considered young, baby. She had a GI bleed and a baseline was unresponsive to stimuli. Had a tracheostomy in. She was obese, so she had a hard to turn and position to. She ended up throwing up clots out of the trach, mouth and nose, and I called the rapid response team. I had to transfer her quickly to ICU so I could start her blood transfusion. When I was transferring, I was holding her hand and telling her, you're going to make it through, I got you. In my heart, I feared she was not going to make it. I visited her the next day while she was in the ICU and told her, I'm still here. I got you. That is so sweet. Something I would do the same too. A month later, she was back on my floor and still unresponsive at baseline. I kept talking to her to let her know I was still there for her. She eventually was more responsive weeks later and when she opened her eyes, she grabbed another nurse to get me because she apparently heard my voice. I went over and she had tears in her eyes. She pointed to me and said, I got you. I broke down crying and then hugged her. She's still working hard in a rehab center, but she had made it through. The power of prayer and strength. That is so, so sweet. So a lot of people who do not work in healthcare, let's say family members or anyone who has never been in the hospital or know anything about medical field, thinks that if a patient is unresponsive, they do not hear you, they do not understand you, they do not respond. The thing is, they they may be unresponsive, like let's say in the ICU when they're intubated or whatnot, but they can actually hear you. Like they may not respond to you verbally or move or anything 
but you keep talking to these people and they still hear you. They just aren't able to do it because, you know, probably with whatever situation they're in. But again, talking to these patients, even though they're unresponsive, is something very, very important to do because this is how you stimulate them and encourage them to keep fighting so they can get back to normal. And this is so sweet because this is something I would do to my patient. Like sometimes my patient would literally be sleeping or they would be in a high dose of opioid because of, let's say, pain or they're in end of life. And so then they're unresponsive in a sense that they're just sleeping most of the time or it takes a lot of stimulation for them to wake up. I still do talk to them because I know they're listening to me It is just the medication side effect that's causing them to be that way. And sometimes, you know, whenever I talk to my patients, let's say I'm just sitting there and they're not responding verbally. I talk to them. I would tell them stories and whatnot. Sometimes you see their eyebrows moving or there's a tears coming out from their eyes. And I just know, I just know that they are present. They are there mentally and they can hear me. And it's just so important to do that because, you know, these people who are unresponsive also needs a lot of attention. Like, give them attention. They feel alone already fighting through the bottle of, like, whatever disease they're fighting for. And at the same time, they cannot even do anything. Like, they they don't even have control over their body. So having someone in there and letting them know that you're not the only presence in this room and I am here and I will take care of you is so, so important. So this is so sweet. Thank you so much. And I just know that your patient appreciate you so, so much. Next, I work as a trauma nurse before I became a NP. And I remember the day I realized I was burned the fuck out. <laughs> Love it. Love the fuck out. <laughs> we were not officially at TICU, trauma ICU, and not officially a step down and not officially a burn unit. Ooh, I love this because this is our unit too before where I work. Like we were not supposed to be doing some type of patients or like accepting some type of patients, but we are accepting them because some other units are way too crowded or flooded that we're supposed to take care of them when we're not even trained or we were not even aware of how to take care of these people. But then we are forced and we should suck it up to just take care of these patients because who else is going to take care of them? But of course, we actually were all three. You know how it goes. Period, Bessie, I do. I was working with a burn victim. She was about my age now, young 30s. I was in my mid-20s before becoming a mom. I had known the backstory and read it on the news. Her house burned down. Oh my God. And she has two kids. One was about eight or nine and the other was four. She ran and got out the older one but couldn't find the four-year-old. He actually passed away. She was almost catatonic with grief, and on my shift, she had not seen her face yet. Her burns were to her back arms and face mostly, and I had to bring her to the bathroom, and for the first time, she looked at herself and just came apart. Oh my god. It was the most powerfully sad moment I've ever had as a nurse. I could feel her grief, and I wasn't even a mother then. (sighs) You guys, I hate, hate, hate this. I hate it when like it involves kids because, you know, kids are like so innocent. Like this young human just wants to play, 
just wants to be loved, just wants to be taken care of. And when they go through such trauma, I feel like that's what determine who they're going to be when they become an adult. And that's when all the mental illness, social problems, like personal problems starts. And I just feel so bad for the mom because she probably feels so guilty of, you know, even living just knowing the fact that one of her kids just passed away and she wasn't able to save both of them. And it's so, so, so hard to be in that position. And I hope she's okay. Like you said, like when she had the chance to see her face and it's not the same anymore, she must be so devastated. Like, I don't know how much trauma she's she's carrying that time, but she probably still is. But you know what? If I could talk to her right now, I wish she's listening or whatever or whatnot, like, I just want to thank her. Mothers are such incredible human beings. I feel like to be a mom is such a hard job because then you're not living for yourself anymore. You're living for your kids. You're living for this human being that you carried for nine months, that you suffered giving birth to. And, you know, just knowing that the human that you birthed dies before you, that for me too is it's just crazy to think like you know like my mom always tells me she's like you cannot die first before i do because i would not know what to do in my life because you know like it happens so many times too when i have a patient let's say they're older and they tell me and they will tell me that they have kids and then they're like oh where are your kids they actually died long time ago and I just cannot fathom to think that I'm still living when my my life are dead. Because their life is their kids. Again, I salute every single mom. If you're a mom listening to this right now, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And I'm, I just want to say I am proud of you and I hope you're proud of yourself. Because without you, we wouldn't have your kids who are now part of this society, this community who's you know, and I know that your kids are so, so proud of you. I love you, mama. Love you, love you, love you. Next. During COVID, I had a patient that was COVID positive and I was working in the ICU. You knew that most people didn't make it out of the ICU. This patient was doing everything right. He was sitting up in the chair, doing stretches, really doing everything in his power to get better. His son was in Kenya as a teacher and was trying to come back to see him and he was quite honestly just the sweetest old man. As I was getting ready to go home at the end of my shift, he told me, don't worry about me and get some rest. The next day, I came back and he was definitely looking a bit worse. And the first thing he said to me was, did you not sleep because you were worried about me? Don't worry about me. We spent an amazing day together talking and just trying to get him better. It really seemed like he was getting better and I had so much hope and faith he would be one of the few people to leave the ICU. I told myself if he died, I would never be a nurse again. Well, after a few days off, I came into work and he was intubated, sedated, and proned. I already knew what that means for his prognosis and I broke down. And all I could remember was him saying, don't worry about me. I was never able to go back into his room and I truly contemplated quitting and changing careers, but I know he's looking over me and that he is in peace now uh you guys so i just want to explain this to people who's not in healthcare or who's not a nurse but you guys do not understand how much trauma can one patient gives us and i'm not saying this as you know 
you guys are the reason why why we're mentally ill or like we're suffering from like mental illness. But what I'm saying is that as a nurse in getting and knowing that person and going through all the events that they go through, because you go through with that patient. Like if that patient goes to cardiac arrest, you are that nurse who's there. You are that nurse who's giving that CPR. It's either you revive them back to life or not. But then, you know, after they leave the hospital, let's say they survive or everything, they continue on with their life. And I know they're still probably carrying the trauma that they experience in the hospital. But most of the time, half of the time, they don't see the trauma that they went through because let's say they coded. So they didn't see the trauma that just went or that just happened to bring them back to life. But the nurses, the healthcare workers who sees every single thing, we have to carry that every single day. And it becomes part of us and it traumatizes us and it numbs us to the point that sometimes we cannot even cry anymore. How even, even though the situation is so traumatic, we're just so numb emotionally and have seen so many things at the same time that at some point we're just like, oh, another one of these or, oh, just these. And the thing is like every single situation is different, right? So sometimes it's the same, same traumatic situation, but add a little spice to it to add an extra traumatic experience for us. And people don't understand that. Like we have to carry our own trauma and at the same time, other people's trauma working as a nurse. And then we are expected to be these human beings who are capable of adapting, of being flexible, of being able to pick themselves up and go to the next room, show a smile in our face and provide a care just like we just did not see the most traumatizing shit from the other room. And it's crazy. And I just feel like nurses should have like a therapist on the floor just for us to like, I don't know, to be listened to, to, to just decompress after a traumatic situation. And the thing is, even decompressing doesn't take away the fact that we will still have it within us, like in ourselves, in our life. Like decompressing just gives us time to just Take a deep breath, forget it for a bit. But guess what? When we get home, we're still carrying that. Sometimes, you know, like situations that are so traumatizing, I cannot even fall asleep at night. I would be lying down in my bed and I have the whole scenario that just happened that traumatizes me in my head repeatedly playing in my ceiling when I'm lying down in bed. Imagine that. And I'm supposed to wake up the next day and go back to work like nothing happened yesterday. I don't. <laughs> oh my God, you guys, you guys don't understand this profession requires you to be literally a superhero, a super minded hero. And I can't, I cannot. Oh my God, this is so traumatizing. I'm so sorry that this happened. And I know he's proud of you. I know he's happy that you were able to take care of him. But girl, I completely understand how shitty this must feel for you because I have been through the same, same situation. And I know a lot of the nurses and other healthcare workers who's listening to this right now can 
literally can relate to this. Oh, oh my God. Anyways, moving on. Patient story I'll never forget. One time I was dropping a patient off to his new resource where he would live after his discharge from the hospital. Once we got there, he turned to me and said, you know, if circumstances were different, like if I didn't meet you at the hospital, I really think we could have been in a serious relationship. Wait the fuck. Wait a damn fucking minute. Let me just read that. You know, if circumstances were different, like if I didn't meet you at the hospital, I really think we could have been in a serious relationship. I, I beg your pardon. Oh, we went from sad to I have always imagined a life with. What did I mean? It. I have always imagined a life with you, and I was like, and I was coughed so off guard. I was like, uh, okay, but you're my patient. You know that there's boundaries. I don't see you like that. I'm so sorry. And I wish him good luck in his future and left. The thing is, I've seen many patients who have been attracted to me in the past, but this was another level. I took it as an honesty and it was something he needed to get off his chest and I don't hate him or see him differently for that. <laughs> Girl... <laughs> Okay, I did not expect this to be this way. I was about to be very emotional for the, you know, the past two, three stories. And we went from that to this? Pardon? <laughs> Honestly, though, I mean, if this was a dementia patient, I would understand. You guys have no idea how many dementia patients I have married and divorced in the same shift. They, it's so crazy. And I always get blamed for cheating with another patient. When, you know, I cannot have one patient and they think that if I walk Sylvia from room 309, I am cheating with them and they want to file divorce right at that point and they would do their best to claim their divorce money. <laughs> but girl, good for you for setting boundaries, period. We talking about boundaries, baby. You know, some patients, listen, if we're nice to you, if we're doing our best to you because we're empathetic, because we're professionals, and because this is our job, but please do not take this into a romantic or sexual way because uh, uh, some of us are married, some of us are in a relationship, and we're not trying to get to a new one. And y'all, if I would feel so awkward after this. But good for you. You're able to put that boundaries. And at the same time, you're not, you know, hating on him. But you just, you know, let him express his feelings. But at the same time, that's a little creepy at the same time. You know, like, okay, well, all of this time you think I love you and you love me. And we are a happy family. Barney? <laughs> Period. Next. I was working on the stroke unit at that time, this guy came in by ambulance. He was having sex with his girlfriend <laughs> and he had a stroke during the act. His girlfriend accompanied him in the ambulance. A few hours later, <laughs> I'm always flabbergasted in how this story goes because not only this is a situation where the, pa the person had a stroke while having sex, but also... There is tea, bestie. Are you ready for this? Hold on tight, bestie, because pardon. A few hours later, his wife comes and sees the girlfriend by the bed of the patient, period. I was giving the guy an IV med, and let me tell you the drama that ensued. 
The wife got the girlfriend banned from visiting list. The kids came... The kids came after and there were mad yelling. I'll remember that story for a girl. <coughs> you got a whole tea to tell your besties after. Because what the hell just happened? Did we just had a labor and delivery situation of a girlfriend, a wife, and the kids? Oh, la la. Well, guess what? He got his karma. He got stroked for stroking someone else while she... <laughs> <laughs> well, he was in a relationship. Oh my God, people, I don't understand. And you know what? He he got... I, I don't even know what to say, baby. But one thing I know is karma is 360, baby. It comes back to you when you do it to someone else. And oh, I hope the wife left him though because... Mm -mm. And I'm not wishing for anyone to have a stroke just to preface it. I'm not saying that. But you know, he got the thing for doing something that he should not be doing because he has kids and a wife, okay? Period per. No question to ask. Uh-uh. Next. You know how in the Philippines, you have a charity floor. Basically, those who can pay for private or don't have insurance. I didn't know this insurance our floor have a charity service icu four beds in one big room beds are divided by a curtain at that time we had two pediatric patients one is having a seizure like episode fever but but every test is negative so as every single filipino would they called an albulario albulario is said to be I don't know what do you call an albulario in English. I think it's um it's a healer basically. It's a healer who uses nature and stuff like that to eliminate bad spirit and whatnot. This albulario said that a spirit is trying to lure the children into the into their part 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 How do we went from sad to drama to scare to scary? <laughs> Anyhow. To lure the child in their world. But the albulario is not allowed to perform any ritual in the hospital. Because, <laughs> baby, they're not going to be bringing no coconut trees and start, like, slapping the kid to get away the bad spirit. Because, you know. So they resorted that every 6 p.m. he will call and recite a prayer for the girl. At one point, the other pediatric patients started experiencing the same symptoms. Okay. And they would talk to each other and saying, it's coming for us. Pardon? Then both of them will have a seizure-like symptoms. You guys, have you guys seen the film Exorcist Believer? Because I've seen that shit and it's it's giving the same, same situation where two kids were possessed by some evil and they were in sync together. They were all, ex they're, they're both experiencing the same, same symptoms of like demonic possession. But it's giving that. Then both of them will have a seizure-like symptoms. One of the nurses came to shift one day with a holy water from the chapel and would squirt it to the patient using a syringe. <laughs> I think I've done a video like this where I fill the syringe with holy water. They probably don't want to be close to them, so they put it in the syringe so it can like squirt to them. This is so... Scary, and at the same time, it's so funny because I would not know what to do either. Because 
when you're in a hospital, no one would believe you that spirits and entities actually do exist because science goes above this supernatural being situation and no one will believe it. But yeah, it's true. It, it do, Devils exist and supernatural stuff ex- exists. I just hope there's no... <laughs> I'm scared I'm alone in the studio. <laughs> yeah, they do exist. So please, please believe because this is giving the truth and you need more than an albulario. You need... um. An exorcist or some shit. Because this is not some, you know, some easy battle. Next. I'm not a nurse yet. I'm in school. And it's not that crazy but funny. During COVID, I was doing admission for the doctor's office my mom works at. Like screening patients for symptoms, checking temperature, etc. This one guy walks in and asks the usual COVID question. One is, have you experienced diarrhea in the past 24 hours? This poor old guy thinks I am the... (laughs) (laughs) I'm the nurse. He tells me all about his explosive diarrhea down to the color and the texture. (laughs) He was desperate for help. I had to politely explain to him that I was simply doing admission and the nurse practitioner would be with him shortly. After that, I rephrased the question to, are you experiencing any new or worsening (laughs) diarrhea? (laughs) Oh my God. So... The thing is, you know, people are just scared and they just need help, but they don't even think or anything like that when they're in that situation. Even I, when I am in so much pain, I don't even care what's going on. I just want to be treated. And I'm that type of patient. I'm sorry, you guys, but that's just me, okay? Next. I work as a CNA on a med search long-term care unit while in nursing school. One CNA told another it was shaving day for the patients which she thought the other CNA understood shaving the man's beard to keep them nice and clean. I feel like I know where this is going. A little while later, we go check on the CNA who's supposed to be shaving the man's beard, but she instead, she shaved a room of four patients' head. (laughs) (laughs) What the... (laughs) Oh my god, wait. A little while later, we go check on the CNA who's supposed to be shaving the men's beard, but she instead, she shaved a room of four patients' head, bald, including women. They all look like a cancer patient. It was awful. (laughs) Some people don't give full attention. You guys, listen. So many... I had so many friends that you tell them an information... And they would agree that they understand everything, that it's clear that everything is fine. And then the next thing you know, they do the worst. They do the opposite of what you've asked them. And oh my Lord, this is so funny. Those patients must be so freaking horrified when they look at the mirror. And I do not know what, oh my God, you guys, this is so, uh, this is so awful for the. Not the women. I mean, the guys are going to grow it back in like two weeks. But the women, no, not them being bald, period. Okay, moving on. So here's a crazy story regarding a patient of mine. I work in plastic surgery. 
We had just operated on a patient and did a breast augmentation on her. Period. This is my first time having someone share a story from plastics. Post-op instructions are clear. No alcohol for two weeks post-op. Ten days post-op, patient got very drunk with her parents and was so tipsy she fell down the stairs and landed on her boobs. Pardon? One of the implants (laughs) flew out of her boobs intact and landed on the kitchen (laughs) table. She called me panicking and asking me what to do to put it back in. She arrived pissed drunk, hungover at the clinic while with one boob deflated and the other intact. She was vomiting in our exam room, sing and laughing about the incident, asked us to put the same implant back. We had to wait two weeks until she was alcohol-free and put her a new implant in via surgery at an extra cost. I, I mean, listen, this is why... If you're a patient or if you ever go to the hospital, when your doctor tells you, when your nurse tells you you're not supposed to be drinking for the next 38 days or you're not supposed to be doing exercise for the next two weeks because we've seen what happens when people do it. It's not some bullshit that we just tell you because we want to and we just want you to not have like to we just want to kill your joy, but because it's actually dangerous. But some people are just not able to listen and follow instruction, and they are so mad if something happens to them, and they blame us. Babe, we gave you the instruction. What is so hard for you to understand that you're not supposed to be drinking? There you go. One deflated boob for two weeks. That's what you get for drinking. And I'm sorry, but girl, that was your fault. (laughs) Oh, Lordy, this is not it. Okay. You guys, this is a roller coaster of emotion because we went from like super sad to super dramatic to super scary to now crying our asses off with laughter. I cannot. Next. Interaction I will never forget. Trigger warning, sexual assault, and murder. Okay, you guys, there's a trigger warning. If you don't want to listen to it, do not. And if you are not able to, you don't have to, bestie. Here it is. Deep breaths, let's go for this. When I was at HCA through nursing school, I cared for a man. Not only was he sick, but he was homeless, a substance user, and had a history of aggression. Him and I were able to talk about his addiction and I gave him an extra TLC when nobody else was interested. Okay, let me just talk about this because this is so, so important that you don't judge as a healthcare worker, your patient. I know there are so many other questions out there where like, let's say you find out that your patient was, let's say, a rapist, Right? How would you treat that patient? You treat that patient equally. Because as a healthcare worker, it is your job to provide care to all of your patients equally. And if you cannot, because it affects you or it's just against your beliefs and or you're not you're just not comfortable, you can refuse care. Okay? But then if you accepted that care, 
you cannot judge that person based on their history or who they are and treat them with your own judgment. You can't. As a healthcare worker, it is still your job to treat them equally like everybody else. It's not for you to judge someone else's until you're in their shoes. And again, I'm not saying that, that oh, is that you telling us that, you know, I have to be a rapist? N- no. What I'm trying to say is that, again, as a healthcare worker, equally is how you treat everyone else when you get them in the door and when you accept to give them the care. And it's not based in their history of how or who they are. I have had patients that when I read their history, because I do my extensive research to know my patients, and sometimes it shocks me that I didn't know that this patient looks so innocent and they used to be very abusive to their partner or kids. I can't change that past, but I also cannot judge them for who they are and base my care because of that. But I can refuse to give care for the pe- those people if I don't want to. Period. Anyways, continue. Thank you for giving him an extra TLC, but because again, we don't know what's going on in their life. We haven't been in their shoes. Let's continue. Fast forward one year and I was now a graduate nurse on the same unit. He was back in the hospital for illness and withdrawal. When he was more alert, I spoke with him about his life. He told me that years ago, he found out that somebody had sexually assaulted his young children. He told me he ended up murdering this person, which led him spending time in jail. His grief and sadness of not being there for his children leads him to continue on with a very hard life. He started using and ended up on the street. He cried and I listened and held his hand. So this is basically what I mean by that. That you cannot judge your patient based off of because they have cocaine addiction or drug addiction or any type of things that they have done in the past because you haven't been in their shoes. Imagine she judged this person because of her because of his addiction and treated him like an no. You're not supposed to. And look at this man. Imagine being in her, his shoes and the reason why he had an addiction, the reason why he's homeless now is because he went to jail for murder with a reason. Because his children were sexually assaulted. And I don't know, but I would probably do the same. Because again, children. Children are innocents. This young people just wants to be loved and wants to play and, you know, but, you know, being treated that way by an adult is traumatizing. And imagine you're the parent. I would do the same. I'm sorry, but that's me. I would never hurt someone. I would never murder someone. But if my kid ever gets touched by anyone, mm -mm, sexually, I would not even think twice. I'm so sorry. I would not think twice because my kid would carry that into their adulthood, period. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for this, for submitting this story because this is something that a lot of people has to understand, okay? Next, 
This was many years ago. I was in charge. I get a phone call from the city police asking if we are missing one of the patients. At that time, we had 30 patients, five nurses and two aides. So I was like, it's possible. Wait a minute. You have five nurses and two aides and you guys only had 30 patients? It's giving fully staff an extra. Baby, where is this? Sign up. I'm going to sign up right now. I'm going to take a full-time position. Because if we're going to be five with two aides and we got only 30 patients, baby, we are running good. Uh-uh. He told me one of your patients is at Kmart and his <laughs> and his IV pump is beeping. Uh, the, the IV pump again. The goddamn pumps are beeping. We are sending him back. Somehow the guy had got the IV pump and pole in his car, drove to Kmart and got what he needed and came back. Well, listen, if you <laughs> if he wants to, he would. <laughs> The Ivy side patent, clean, dry, and intact, despite his little advent. <laughs> Why are you guys playing with my emotions right now? I'm like up and down. I don't know if I'm going to cry, if I'm going to laugh, if I'm going to be shocked. <laughs> I swear to God, some patients literally have superpower. You know what? I, th I think instead of calling us superheroes, why don't you call our patient the superheroes? Because some of them are the flash. Some of these people, I'm telling you, are so fast, they can escape the hospital in about two minutes. So why don't you guys call them the superheroes? Because they actually got superpowers. They can climb ceiling like Mr. Smith and they can even run fast naked too. With an IV pump and an IV. And they can come back IV intact, clean, and working. That's the real superhero. Not us, baby. <laughs> I do not, I mean, he probably was hungry and he needed snacks and he went to Kmart and got back. L listen, I could not blame him. The snacks they give in the hospital is not that good. So I got to go get my food quickly. <laughs> I cannot do this. Next. During my final clinical and nursing school, a fellow student on my floor was assigned a new patient. While brought down to our unit, there was an attached stack of paper which document his long history of violence and harassment at this hospital alone. That being said, within 30 minutes of his admission, he was caught trying to pull out the central line in his neck. Oh my god, that's a lot of bleeding, baby. All available nurses came running into the room, and the nursing student was positioned close to him at bedside. Some were trying to hold down his arms and others trying to untangle the tubing that was wrapped around his fingers. When his hands were free, he quickly grabbed the stethoscope around the nursing student's neck and began choking her with it. Oh, God. Luckily, she was able to slip her head away from the lock and she fled the patient's room with watery. <laughs> the very next day, I was assigned to this patient and gave him his afternoon medication. <laughs> that nursing student had... His or her first ever traumatizing experience. This is why when I go to my patient's room, I don't even carry my stethoscope. I leave my stethoscope in the nursing station, but I put, you know, I put a tag in it or something. I, next time, it, when I go back working in bedside, I will put an air tag in my stethoscope. So whoever takes my stethoscope again or exchange it, I will know, you know why? Because I'm going to put that air tag on, baby. That shit's gonna be sealed so no one can steal it but yeah i leave my stuff in the nursing station because you know you all know patient can change mentally in a span of like two minutes 
they could be the nicest person one moment and the next they're trying to choke you. And I don't even know. Some, but this one has a history of harassment and has a history of aggressive aggressiveness. And why don't this patient have like a note on the door? Sometimes, you know, like in our unit, we would put like um, a, a little paper or a little color coded something to kind of like warn everyone or in report, we let them know what this patient is capable of doing so that the nurse, it's not judging the person, okay? It's not judging the patient. It's more of like preparing the next nurse or someone who's going to be going on that room because you want to know what has happened in the past. And again, you're not judging a person from their past, but it is a possibility that that, that could happen again. Just like this situation, they didn't take precautions in you know making sure that before um, you assign a nursing student in this room, you make sure that, you know, a patient is not violent, just like this patient, because this could happen. And look at that nursing student. She probably traumatized as fuck. I would, I would be too. I mean, getting choked by your own stethoscope, baby. No. Next. My story is the one that burned me out during COVID and made me realize that management did not care at all. Ooh, baby. I had a male oncology patient who had been discharged from our unit two days previous because he had a COVID outbreak and they thought he would be safer at home than in the hospital. He was readmitted after two days COVID positive. He deteriorated within 48 hours and was made end of life. His wife had been bedside throughout everything in full PPE. Their son calls and tells us his mother Tess has come back positive so has every other family member, I called our nurse's administrator because we have no policy about what to do at this point. It's so early in the pandemic. She tells me to call the hospital's microbiologist. I explained the situation to him, including that this man is actively dying, to which he responds, if he's dying, it makes no difference if they're... Excuse me? Pardon? Tell them saying goodbye only takes a minute and to leave. Oh! disrespectful, rude, incompetent person. What the fuck? Like, oh my God, there are some heartless and just full on like incompetent people that exist in healthcare. And I will tell you guys, there's so many of them. Like, you don't understand why they are in a compassionate, caring, you know, field when they cannot even feel for someone else's, for others. Like, this is so fucking rude. I don't understand why this microbiologist would say that if he's dying, it makes no difference if they're there. F you. And, oh my God, I don't wish that it happens to you, but I hope, like, you experience something like close to this for you to know how hard that must be for a family to hear that from a healthcare worker oh my god oh my god and i'm sorry i don't wish for him to experience that but it's just what the fuck and listen i have had this kind of situations before where you know the patient is like end of life and you know a healthcare worker would literally say they're dying anyways well, bitch, be on that position then. And let me tell you that same shit so that you feel that way. I'm going to tell you that straight to your ear. 
straight to your face and be told, it's okay, you're dying anyways. Yeah, make it comfortable for them. Make it safe for them. Make it enjoyable for them. Because dying should not be a fear. Because dying is only the beginning of your life. That's how I see it, okay? But, you know, if you can reduce suffering, if you can make it comfortable, relaxing, and peaceful for someone to die, why not do it? Oh, I am so sorry. And girl, I tell you, it's the same thing for me. I have had, you know, co-workers. I'm not talking about nurses, but, you know, other healthcare workers and incompetent people who just don't, you know, care about patients. And I don't even know why they are in healthcare. Leave, baby. Leave. You guys, I don't know how to feel. This is such a roller coaster of emotion. I don't know if I'm going to be sad, scared, mad, happy, everything. I'm feeling everything right now. <laughs> and I hope you do too, Bessie. I hope this one is good. Okay, let's read this. I work in a long-term care hospital. I had this patient I took care of every night. She was 101 years old. Yes, you read that right, 101. She had a rectal prolapse and it was really, really bad. It was huge. <laughs> I like how she puts huge on caps. She would call us like 20 times in an hour for us to go to her room and help her with stuff. Go to the bathroom, pick up a pillow, but mostly to ask us to put Vaseline on her prolapse. She would always tell us to put layers, a lot of Vaseline on it, that we weren't the ones paying for it. <laughs> paying for it. So one night, I'm super busy. We are loaded with work and short staff. Uh, surprise! And she calls us up to come and take her to the bathroom this was already the third time she went in the past hour and that was going to be the fourth time i was going to put vaseline again i walk in her room pump up as fuck and ready i knew she was going to ask me to smother her <laughs> with vaseline so when i was ready to put the vaseline on i didn't take time to look at the bottle that was bed that was beside her bed because I was the last one to put it there and it was supposed to be at the same spot as before. I do my thing. I loathed her anal relapse with Vaseline. <laughs> what I mean loaded, I meant I put a shitload telling her myself she won't be calling me anytime soon to tell me I didn't put enough. I leave the patient, go back to doing my thing and she calls again. I'm starting to get a little annoyed since she had already been to the bathroom four times in not even an hour and we were loaded with work. I walk in the room and it reeks of a smell. I'm not used to smell in her room. She look at me, tells me that her asshole is on fire. <laughs> you guys are not fucking ready for this. And that it burns. I'm super confused. Tell her to stand up that I would take a look. When she got up, I realized what the smell I was smelling was. And it wasn't Vaseline, sister. It... <laughs> it was Vicks. <coughs> Baby Vicks. Vicks. Vaporob. And you sent me a picture of the Vicks. I had put a shitload of Vicks vapor up on this poor 101 old lady. The bottle looked the same as the Vaseline. And I was so used to put the Vaseline, which was always at the same spot. 
Turns out she had placed the ball around and this was the one that was at reach. This happened two years ago and I still feel awful about it. She kept on saying her ass was on fire. <laughs> oh my God, girl, not Vicks. I know we use Vicks at everything as a Filipino or as an immigrant, but baby, not in a prolapse asshole. That she's going to burn like freaking hemorrhoids, baby. Oh, I just imagine how my ass is on fire whenever I'm constipated and it's just pebbles that's coming out. TMI, I'm sorry. But baby, putting Vicks on that, ooh. She must be screaming. She must be like wondering why the fuck the Vaseline is burning. <laughs> ooh, what the fuck? You guys... I do not know what the hell is going on with you all. This is this is all traumatizing. It's so funny though because we're laughing at it, but this is not. <laughs> this is not right. <laughs> this is not right. Okay, okay. Let me just get my shit together. My first time putting a foley in after my training was on a younger female. Her genitalia was easy to see and so my preceptor was in the room and ensured I followed protocol. While cleaning her, she began to squirm and I apologized for the cold solution and explained the next step. When I went to spread her lips, girl calling it lips, her lips and insert the foley, she Wait a damn fucking minute. Pardon? I beg your biggest pardon? When I went to spread her lips and inserted the foley, she came all over the foley line and my glove. <laughs> I didn't know what to do and my preceptor stopped me and apologized to the patient because we would need to restart to ensure the area was clean and sterile. After cleaning up the first mess and walk out of the room for another kit, my preceptor stopped me and said, well, there's a first for everything. Congratulations. I don't know what to say. Next story. In college, I was working as a personal assistant for someone who ran a caregiving service for the elderly. One of the caregivers quit, so my boss needed me to fill in. I was helping this sweet older lady lived alone who lived in the beautiful house about 30 minutes away from where I live. I helped her two times a week, about a month, and everything was going well. One day, I showed up and she says, tell that family upstairs to stop making so much noise. Are we back in horror? Are we back in creepy shit? Oh. I told her that no one lives upstairs and that it was only us. But repeatedly for the next month, every time I come over, she said there were people living upstairs. I finally mustered up the courage to go upstairs and check it out. I believe in spirits and don't want to mess with that. I was terrified when I went up the stairs but found nothing. I told her no one was upstairs, she wouldn't believe me, said they wouldn't be quiet all night. It eventually creeped me out so much I had to stop going, period. Well, she lost a carer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand why they, why they always see a bunch of ghosts and they're not even confused. Baby, I feel like I don't want to be old. Like, I don't want to start seeing no ghosts, no nothing. Like, come on, y'all. Like, how the fuck do you get so vulnerable when you're so old? I mean, yeah, sure. But like, oh my God.
God, girl, I cannot do this. Mm-mm. Next, one time as a CNA, I was a memory care toiling residence from my hall before my shift finishes. Mr. Smith, let's name him Mr. Smith, asked me on the way to his room, what are you going to do today after your work? I replied, I have to go home and do my homework. Disappointed, he replies, oh, I wish we could go out and groceries to get, pardon, together. Then I said, maybe another time you can help me with something different later for activity from today. He said, okay, I, I'll be happy to help. Later, while toileting on another resident, Mr. Smith number two said, you are so nice and always smiling. Do you want to marry <laughs> Do you want to marry me? I smiled laughing and replied, I am so sorry, Mr. Smith number two, but I am already married, but we can still be friends. Oh, nice. I would love to be your friend. Oh, I love and miss the residents in memory care. Listen, you guys, I just love older patients. They're so, so sweet and so funny. But at the same time, they can either be very sexual, very aggressive, very, like, sweet. Like, it's all a lot of emotions in memory care. And I'm telling you, right now, I, I am working in, like, a long-term care with my students and like all the residents have different personality and different like emotional baggage you know what i mean and i just feel bad for my nursing students just because like you know they get to experience all of those things but they have to so that they can be introduced to what the reality is of working in healthcare that you're not gonna always get nice patient that there are patients out there who are rude who are disrespectful who are not you know, who are sexualizing things and you have to put boundaries on that so that it doesn't happen to you or they don't disrespect you or they think that they could just do things. But this is not, you know, a negative experience. This is more like a cute little, like, you know, old ladies and gentlemen who want to marry you and they're so sweet and they just want to divorce you after two minutes. But at the same time, oh, I love memory care. It reminds me a lot of my grandpa. But yeah, you guys, that is all of our stories for now because, baby, you guys, this is so, this is such a roller coaster of emotion, but I also love it because these are the things that sticks in your head, the stories of your patient that you carry to yourself, and it helps you grow as a nurse and at the same time as a human being. And listen, you have stories to tell in a dinner table. <laughs> and I know they said, like, I don't, believe when people are like oh my god don't be spreading no information about the situation that happened in the hospital because HIPAA violate okay but I'm not saying no names no nothing okay and it's just that sometimes you have to unload this kind of thing where are you gonna unload that kind of stuff those traumatizing even though it's funny scary dramatic you know sad you need to unload those kind of things so that you don't carry it to yourself. Like, I cannot just talk to myself every single time. I do that every single time. But I still have to tell it to someone, okay? It could be your partner. It could be your best friend. It could be anyone. But you have to unload that as a nurse, as a healthcare worker, because you need to feel that you can breathe sometimes, Again, all of these things were not taught to you that you're going to be experiencing all of this and you're going to be carrying this to yourself alone. And it's going to follow you until you're 65 or 70, hopefully with no dementia. But if you have dementia and you forget all of the traumatizing shit, lucky for you. 
I'm not saying lucky because you got dementia, but like lucky for you that you forget it. But like what I'm trying to say too is that you carry this until you're until before you die. Cause baby, working in healthcare is extremely, extremely difficult. Physically, mentally, and emotionally. And again, I salute every single healthcare workers. And I'm talking about all the healthcare workers, but mostly I salute my nurses because, oh God, you guys, I don't know why we went in this profession. It's so freaking crazy. And we're not even paid properly. Like, you know what I mean, Bessie? Mm. Anyways, Bestie, oh my God, thank you so much for listening. And I hope you had some laugh. You had some crying moments with me, screaming moments, everything. Because this is the purpose of it. We're going to unload all our traumas. We're going to unload some you know stress out and just laugh it off and you know even though it's nothing to laugh at but that's the only way we can decompress and like feel good to know that we're not the only one experiencing all of this crazy shit you know and we got this all together thank you again so much for listening to this podcast and do me a huge favor bestie make sure you download this episode and all the other episodes this way Our podcasts are always going to be in the top charts. And also make sure you follow us and turn on notification on Apple and Spotify podcasts. And make sure that you screenshot whatever episode you're listening and tag me on IG. And so I beg your pardon, IG, so that I can repost it, bestie. I love you, love you, love you so much. Don't forget to share your stories and I beg your pardon. And always be on alert because I'm always asking a lot of different stories from you guys that's another way for you to unload any or whatever trauma you're carrying because Bessie if you cannot tell it to other people you can tell it to me and to all the listeners of I Beg Your Pardon and we would understand you Bestie I love you guys so much and again don't forget to check out www.nursejohndoublen.com and get your merch Bestie and sign up to the newsletter so you can get a discount code I love you guys so much and I will see you again next week stay caffeinated medicated and hydrated you got your tumblers go hydrate yourself i love you take those meds